In the fourth chapter of James, the 10th through the 12th verses, we hear these words. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. It intrigues me the words that follow. He says, humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, speak against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? You know, I, 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 I thought when I first read this, there's, there was some incongruity that humbling yourself before the Lord and then this whole thing about judging one another and how you talk about one another uh, just didn't seem to fit. It's like James completed one thought and then started another. But then I started to remember my experience in churches in the last 40 years. And it dawned on me if a lot of people in churches would start before they even start talking about their brothers and sisters in Christ, would humble themselves before the Lord and be concerned about how they stand before him. Instead of being concerned about how they can look good in the eyes of other people, then this would make perfect sense. And so it does, you see, because James is talking to church people. And he tells them to humble themselves before the Lord and be content with his exaltation of them. Not uh, go around speaking against one another, trying to look good at someone else's expense. There was a ritual nearly every time I would go to a new church where people would come in and before it was all over, they would have been telling me about, not all of them did this, but there would be those people that would come in and talk about the other people in church. And they would basically be saying, you know, they're not any good, but me, you know. And see what they would be doing, they would be trying to talk other people down to exalt themselves. They were thinking that if they could make other people look bad, it would make them look good. And I have seen this play out in church after church, congregation after congregation, because there are always those people that think that the way to make yourself look good is to make somebody else look bad by comparison. And the more, and you can feel better about yourself if you can find something wrong with the other person. Many churchgoers think that bringing up someone else's flaws, mistakes, weaknesses, troubles, or sins somehow puts them in a better light. And I uh, have actually seen prayer ministries shut down because they devolved from being a time of intercession for one another and for those who had turned in prayer requests to being simply gossip sessions. 
instead of times of prayer and intercession. And so to these gossips and others who try to make themselves look good by making someone else look bad, James, the brother of Jesus, says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord before you open your mouth and talking about your brothers and sisters. If you really humble yourself before him, you're going to realize that you're no better than they, that you're a sinner saved by grace, just like they are. You have flaws just like they do. And golden rule, would you want them talking about you like that? And even, and, and I know you wouldn't, but even if they are going to talk about you, you shouldn't be talking about them. You should be bigger and better than them when it comes to that. If you humble yourself before him, you can count on him raising you up. Now, this is a major church pastime, and I'm afraid that people really aren't aware of what they're doing to themselves and to their others. And I tell you, anytime I run across someone who is putting down others to make themselves look bad, my thought is, you just don't know how bad you're making yourself look right now. I usually don't tell them that. I say usually there may come a, there's a time whenever you need to do that. But we'll talk about that later as we're talking about the power of words. But uh, well, I just want to look at this in the light of what Jesus says in Matthew, the 12th chapter, the 33rd through the 37th verses. Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. And he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees right now. You brood of vipers. That's snakes, in case you want to know. How can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure. Notice that. Now listen to this again. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. And the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. Every careless word we're going to give an accounting for. For by your words, you'll be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. There are other places whenever Jesus talks about the same thing. He's, he's talking here about it's out of the treasure in your heart that you speak. And in another place, he says, that it's out of the heart that good flows forth or bad flows forth. And it depends on the condition of the heart. This is something that I began to ponder back whenever I was handling employee fidelity climb, uh, crimes, whenever uh, people would steal from their employer and I would investigate. And I would walk among person after person who would never think of stealing from their employer. And here would be a person 
same background, same socioeconomic level, everything the same, and yet they thought nothing of stealing and thought they were committing the perfect crime every time they did it. Everybody that commits a crime generally thinks they're going to get away with it and not get caught. But the thing is, I began to ponder, what is it that caused this person to do this whenever this person would have the same needs and the same desperation and they would starve before they would steal? What's the difference? And I finally came to the conclusion that it was the inclination of the heart that there was something within us that's inclined either toward good or toward evil. And it's just exactly, and that's confirmed right here. We have, we treasure something in our hearts. We have treasure in our hearts. And our treasure and what we treasure in our hearts is either evil or good. We either treasure evil things or we treasure good things. Jesus uh, talks about uh, a treasure found in a field and a man going and selling everything that he has in order to get that treasure. What are you treasuring in your heart? Which way is your heart inclined? Toward evil or toward good? And this is what Jesus is talking about when he says, either make the tree good or make the tree evil. Either incline your heart toward good and treasure what's good in your heart and treasure the things of God in your heart or treasure the things of the world. And he says that it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. What comes out is the fruit of the heart. And what comes out reflects the treasure and what you're treasuring in your heart. And so when someone is treasuring exaltation in the sight of other people over the integrity or the character or the reputation of another person, you can tell what's coming at where what's what what's in their heart, you see. It's not a matter of judging, it's just a matter of observing. And there's a difference. If evil things are coming out of your mouth, you're treasuring evil. If good things are coming out of your mouth, you're treasuring what's good. So with that in mind, knowing that our words show who we are, whose we are, and what's in our heart, we need to realize that we are responsible for our words. And one day, Jesus says, we're going to be judged over how we have used the power of our words. And all through Scripture, we see how powerful words are. In uh, the uh, book of Proverbs, the 18th chapter, the 21st verse, we read these words. The tongue has the power of life and death. Your tongue, the words that you speak forth, have power. And that's understandable once you realize that God made us in His image. And His words have power. We begin to see this in the book of Genesis. One of the first things that He says is let there be light. Now, I read something interesting the other day. It said uh, uh, that, uh, you know, it says in the beginning that there was, there was nothing. There was just, it was, things was a formless and there was a void. 
And then the first thing he says is, let there be light. And uh, somebody observed, there wasn't anything to see, but you could see it a whole lot better. <laughs> I'd never noticed that before. But uh, anyway, but it, it really makes sense when he says, let there be light, because he speaks. And you know, his speaking is creative and it's powerful. And it's been determined that if you'll take matter, any piece of matter, you break it down, you wind up with an atom, and then you wind up with photon, protons and neutrons and all these other little bitty, bitty parts that I didn't even, you know, whenever I grew up, that's about as far as you got. But uh, now then they've just got this minuscule, many, many, many minuscule things there, you know. But whenever you finally break it all down, you wind up with energy. And ultimately, the form of energy is sound waves. He said, let there be light. He said this. And every time he spoke, things happened. His words have power. And uh, because we are made in his image, our words have power. Oh, uh, words, words affect people. Let's face it. There's a story of a man who lived in New York. And he was tired of the cold weather. And so he decided to go to Florida. And his wife was on a business trip at the time. And so he called her to let her know what he was doing. And he told her to meet him in Florida. When he arrived, he sent her an email to let her know uh, that he was there. But he got a few letters wrong in the email address. Have you ever gotten somebody else's email? I've got somebody in like Ohio and their last name's McMahon. And their name is all my, their email is almost, I get bills from him. I get all sorts of things through the mail for, for him. And uh, sometimes even his kids send me email. But uh, we pretty, they, he's pretty well abandoned that address now and it's gotten better. But this is what happened here, just a little bit off. And uh, so it, his email wound up going to a pastor's wife in Iowa whose husband had died the day before. And the little old lady turned on her computer and she read this email and she screamed and she fainted right there on the spot. Her family and friends who were there with her, uh, they all ran over and saw her on the floor. And when they read the screen, they understood why she had fainted. She read these words. Dearest darling, just wanted you to know I arrived safely. Looking forward to see, I'm looking forward to you being with me tomorrow. <laughs> Signed, your loving husband. P.S. It sure is hot down here. <laughs> well, His, the words that she received had power, so much power they caused her to faint. Our words are powerful in different ways. At this point in history, everything from social media and politics to cultural conflict has brought us to a time when we as Christians need to step back and consider the power of our words and how we have been using them, and how the Lord requires us to use them. 
Now think about it. Everything you have said this week has either been life-giving or death-dealing. It's either been building up or it has been destroying. And there's nothing in between. The tongue has the power to kill, to destroy, to hurt, to maim, to assassinate, or to heal, to help, to inspire, to encourage, to influence, to save, and to bring peace. So in light of everything that you're seeing in the news and on social media, I encourage you this next week, measure the words that you read, measure the words that you speak in light of what we're talking about today. Because you see, our words have the power to kill or to bring life. And we are responsible and we will one day be held accountable for, as Jesus himself says, every idle word that we speak. Words are like fire. They can either be good or they can be bad. This afternoon when I get home, I'm going to start a fire and I'm going to grill some burgers. And it's going to be good. That fire's contained, it's good. In California, they're still suffering from fire. And I was just looking at one of the fires. I was trying to find out the origins, multiple origins for the fires. One of the, the, the C-A-R-R, car fire, started from just a little insignificant incident where a tire blew out on a trailer and sparks from the rim of that trailer tire hit the grass, started a fire, and that fire spread to cover hundreds of thousands of acres and to cause so much destruction. It's the same with our words. Our words are like sparks, and our words spread far beyond what we ever would dream that they would so many times. So I want to go through a list of several things that are lethal ways that words are used. And then I want to share some of the good ways that words are used. First of all, lying. Uh, in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, it says, There are six things the Lord hates, no seven things he detests. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, Feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who sows discord among brothers. In this list of seven things that the Lord hates, two of them deal with lying. Proverbs 12.22 tells us that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. God hates lying. So why does he hate lying? First of all, because he is truth. And secondly, because Satan is a liar and the father of all lies. And moving on, uh, the next thing is strife. The last item on the list of things that the Lord hates is someone who sows discord. Someone needs to tell that to some people today, don't they? Somehow 
There's so many people in the world that need to hear. The Lord hates people who sow discord. And there are people in our country today who are loving sowing discord and who are trying to sow discord. And I'm, that's all I'm going to say about that. But uh, this is what uh, Robert Morris, he's, this is one of Sharon's favorite preachers is Robert Morris. And he says this about strife and this particular passage. He says, what a serious thing it is to stir up strife, especially among Christian brothers and sisters. That's why I'm so grieved whenever I see someone stirring up strife in the church. I fear for that person's well-being because of what we have just said. One of the reasons why Satan loves to stir up strife is because he knows how powerful unity is and how disabling strife is. He knows if he can keep Christians at odds with each other, there's no way they can be bringing others into the kingdom of God. Strife in our nation, strife in our denomination are keeping us from accomplishing so much that we should be accomplishing. Next, gossip. Gossip tells secrets. So don't hang around with someone who talks too much, it says in Proverbs 2019. Uh, now, gossip is a person who habitually spreads intimate or private rumors or facts. Now, remember this. If someone will gossip to you, they will gossip about you. So, uh, anyway, I'm just going to let it go at that and move on. Slander. Whoever spreads slander is a fool, Scripture says. And a fool in the Bible is someone that pays no attention to God and doesn't care what God thinks about anything. So if you spread slander, it's really showing what's in your heart and what treasure is in your heart, isn't it? Next, uh, I want to go, oh, 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 yeah, I nearly missed a couple. Tailbearing, breaking confidences. I think they call that leaks today, don't they? Uh, a tailbearer reveals secrets, but he who is a faithful spirit conceals a matter. In church, people should feel safe to confess their sins to one another and know that what they share will be kept in confidence. Contentious speech. Now, this is something, this is, a, a, this is in Scripture, and I was amazed. I had to double check and make sure it, it, it reads a little bit different in different translations, but this is found in Proverbs 21.9. Speaking of contentious speech, it is better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a contentious wife in a lovely home. I couldn't believe that was, that was actually put that in the Bible, but it's there. Now, let's face it, that goes both ways. It can, same with a contentious husband. Uh, <clears throat> it makes sense because a contentious person is someone who is argumentative, combative, or quarrelsome. And uh, <clears throat> let me ask you, do you like to argue just for the sake of arguing? If so, you need to stop it. Now then, good things. We've seen there's power to destroy there's also power to bring life.
First of all, wise counsel and sound advice. It says that the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom. And then also another place the scripture says, the lips of the wise spread knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge. These two things ought to be coming out of your mouth all the time if you're living out of good treasure in your heart. I have a few friends in my life that are like that. Every time they speak, they speak wisdom and knowledge. Some of them are people I've known 20, 40 years, some of them my whole life. Some of them are people I don't talk to very often. Some of them are people I may not talk to except once every 10 years. But because they are people of wisdom and knowledge, I know that I haven't, even if I haven't talked to them for 10 years, I could go back to them and say, what do you think about this? And even though they haven't seen or heard from me for that long period of time, because their lips speak wisdom and knowledge, they can say, I don't think you should do this. I don't think you should do that, Joel. Have you thought about this? And invariably, when I talk to people like that, my life is enriched because the lips of the righteous bring forth wisdom and knowledge. And blessed are you if you have a few people in your life who can speak wisdom and knowledge to you. And blessed are you doubly if you have the ability to speak wisdom and knowledge to other people. <coughs> Another thing, rebuke and reproof. It says in scripture, a rebuke impresses a man of discernment more than a hundred lashes of fool. That's because uh, a wise man, a man of discernment, or a woman, uh, is a person that you can come to and say, friend, I think you're on the wrong path. I'm not sure about what you're doing here. And before you do that, I encourage you to stop and think. Let's talk about this for a bit. Blessed is the person who has a friend who is willing to come to you and give you advice like that. Proverbs 27, 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Even though it may hurt to hear the truth sometimes, a friend will need to tell it. Better to have a friend tell you the hard truth than have somebody try to butter you up and cover up the hard thing that you really need to hear. Witnessing to others, witnessing to others. Let's face it, somebody somewhere opened their mouth and gave you the gospel. It came through your hearing. You're a Christian because somebody shared the gospel with you, spoke on the radio, from a pulpit, or because somebody close to you spoke words of life to you. What have you been doing to become a tree of life where you work at your school, to your friends, to your neighbors, to your loved ones, by your lips? You should give such forth such good fruit that people come to want what you have. Encouragement says an anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. I don't know how many times just a kind, one kind word has changed my day. It says the tongue, bring, the, the tongue that brings healing 
is a tree of life. Pleasant words, it says, are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And I bet when you read that, you think that's just metaphorical. Any medical doctor or nurse will tell you that it's not metaphorical at all. If you talk to people who work in the healing profession, they will tell you that whenever there's a patient who is surrounded by positive, optimistic, caring people who build them up and affirm them, that person has a much better chance of getting better and will normally recover a lot faster. When you have a patient who is either off by themselves or has no encouragement or who is surrounded by negative, critical, pessimistic people, that person will have a much harder time getting better under normal circumstances. Why? Because pleasant words literally bring health to the bones. How blessed are you if you have somebody who comes alongside and uses words to lift you up. Doubly blessed are you if you are an encourager. Let's face it, your words can give hope, encouragement, and comfort. They can build up. They can help someone keep on going. And they can inspire. I don't know how many times people's words have done that for me. Listen to this and see how these make you feel as you hear them. Imagine you're going through a tough time and someone says, nothing I can say will make this better, but I'm always going to be here for you. I'm so sorry you're going through this. I'm praying for you every morning when I get up. You're so brave and so strong. What is one specific way I can be praying for you? I'm so proud to call you my friend. I love you. I forgive you. I don't know what these next few months will be like for you, but I'll always be here for you. Can I hug you? God will never leave you. You're my hero. You're a warrior and warriors don't quit. Remember, this is just one chapter in your life. It's not the whole story. It's okay to be scared. Being scared means you're about to do something really, really brave. Your illness does not define you. The strongest people are not those who show strength in front of us, but those who win battles we know nothing about. God loves you, and so do I. How many of your words this past week were words of encouragement? How many of your words were words to edify and to build up. And how many times in the last week did you find it necessary to criticize, to tear down, and to destroy? What's the treasure in your heart? Your words will tell you what the treasure is in your heart. The Lord already knows. But let me give you some good news that even if the treasure in your heart up to this point has been negative and evil, he can give you a new heart. When he hung there on the cross, he was paying the price for every hurtful, harsh word you ever spoke. Every word that you were never going to be take back, be able to take back once it was uttered, he paid the price for every bit of the pain 
that you've inflicted on others with your words. And if you receive what he's done on the cross, he has wiped through his precious blood that slate totally clean. And from this moment on, from the moment you receive that, he can give you a new heart as you start to treasure good things. Good things will come forth from your mouth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.